Brother Ethan Hanley not too long ago preached a sermon on a Sunday morning about apologetics. Brother Trevor, during his meeting, preached about the flood and evidence of a young earth. And he talked about dinosaurs and some different things. And so we've had some sermons about apologetics. And apologetics is essentially making a defense for the faith or for God and Christ and looking at external and and internal evidences to show that the Scriptures are true and real. And so this morning I'm going to take this sixth a lesson or installment in this series, and we're going to ask the question, if the Bible is true, then what now? Because as a part of this series and the other sermons that you've heard recently about the fact that the evidence is there that shows that God is real, that the Bible and the story it tells is true, if those things really did take place, and if that's really what the evidence shows, then what does that mean for you and for me? The Bible makes an extraordinary claim in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. It says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This book that we call the Bible is a collection of 66 books. And the Bible claims that all 66 of those books were inspired by God. Though written and penned by the hand of a man, or actually of several different people, of a lot of different authors over the span of 1,500 years, 40 plus authors in three different continents, three different languages, all of those things that we've talked about and that you hopefully are aware of, there's a lot of great evidence to show the Bible is true, but still we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do we believe that the Bible is inspired by God? Or do we believe it's just simply a collection of man's writings? I believe, and I'll tell you this morning, I believe 100% that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe that claim. And I don't believe it just because of, of what I've experienced in my life and the relationship that I have with God. But I also believe it because when I have examined and I have looked at the evidence, though I do not claim to be an expert in every area, but when I have researched and looked at the, all of the vast amount of evidence, to me it clearly shows that there's something special about this book that we call the Bible. And that there's simply no way for it to have have been just a collection of man's writings. And for them to have gotten so lucky in the prophecy that they spoke of. In the science that's discussed. In the historical uh, stories that we see backed up by history and archaeology. By all the different evidences that we've looked at in this series. And so we've examined a few things as a part of this. And again, it's been a little while since we've walked through this. But we've looked at... The textual reliability of the Bible. The fact that it has been translated accurately. And that we know that the version that we're reading today, it's essentially the same as what was originally penned. And we know that through textual criticism and the analysis that's been done on the Bible. We know that it's prophetically accurate and we've looked at a lot of different prophecies and we looked at the prophecies of Jesus Christ, uh, prophecies of of Christ and all of the, the fulfillment that Jesus Uh, in his life, fulfilled those prophecies. And we even looked at history to show that history recorded many of the miracles and and different things that Jesus did to show that those prophecies were true. We talked about science and the fact that the Big Bang Theory and evolution, they just don't line up with what the evidence is for a created world and a designed universe. And we've looked at history and archaeology and we've looked at the message and power of the Bible and the fact that the apostles... And Christians in the first century and second century and every other century were willing to go to their death for the message that's contained in the book. And that nobody in their right mind goes to their death for something they know to be a lie. And the apostles saw the resurrected Christ. 
They knew that to be true. They knew he was the Son of God. And that's why they died for it. And it's not just the Bible that tells us. History tells us they died for it. And so this morning, if all that's true, then what now? What does that mean for you? It means that God is real and he has absolute authority in your life. And it means that you need to make that accepting statement to yourself today that God is real and that he holds authority over you. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, specifically talking about Jesus here, in being at the beginning with God, creating everything. We know that God in his three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, were all there at the beginning, creating everything. If the Bible is true... That means God created the universe that we live in. He created the world that we're living on. He created our very being, our life. And as creator and as the owner and ruler of all things, He certainly has the authority to do whatever He wants with His creation. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. If the Bible is true, that means God's the king. God's the ruler of everything. And as ruler of everything, He has the right to tell His creation what He wants from us. And what he doesn't want us to do, what he does want us to do, he's the ruler. Psalm 115.3 put it this way, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. It's his right. He is God, the Almighty, the creator of everything. He can do what he pleases. The problem is, as people, sometimes we we look at it and, and, and we don't want to acknowledge the fact that we need to be submissive to someone. We like our freedom. We like our ability to be our own person, the designer of our own life, the chooser of our our own path. The reality is, as creator and owner of everything that exists, God can do what he wants. And so whatever he tells his creation to do, that's what his creation needs to do. If the Bible is true, God's real and his authority is absolute. And I want you to consider some stories in the scriptures. Did God have the right to tell Adam and Eve what to do in the garden? Did he have the right to tell them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yeah, he had the right. He's the creator of all things. Did he have the right to kick them out of the garden when they disobeyed him? Yes, he's the ruler of everything. He has done what he pleased. He is God. He had the right. Did he have the right to condemn the world by flood when it turned evil, when the thoughts of mankind were only evil continually? That's God's right. He can do that if he pleases. He's God. Did he have the right to tell Noah to build an ark and to reward him for obeying and following him? Absolutely. That's God's right. Did he have the right to tell Abraham to leave his country away from his family away from his homeland, to go into a country that he'd show, without really even telling him where he's going? Did he have the right to tell Abraham to sacrifice his son? Of course, then stopped him and didn't let him do it. But ultimately, God is God. He has the right. Did he have the right to call Moses at 80 years old and say, I'm sending you back into Egypt to talk to the Pharaoh and get my people released? And Moses said, I'm not the guy. I I can't talk good. I'm not the guy to do this. Did God have the right to say, you're the guy? Absolutely. He's God. Did God have the right to tell King Saul, the first king of Israel, to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites? Don't leave anything alive. Kill everything. Did he have the right to do that? Because of Amalek's sin? Absolutely. 
And did he have the right to tear the kingdom away from King Saul after Saul failed? Yeah, he's God. He has the right. Did he have the right to punish King David and tell David that the sword would never depart from his house after David had, com- had committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah? He's God. Absolutely, he has the right. And yet even David, who saw both the goodness and the severity of God in his life, knew that it's God's world. We're just living in it. And so David, before he died and was turning the kingdom over to Solomon, he said this, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. David knew and understood that God was the authority. And if the Bible is true, then he's your authority too. And he's my authority. And we can choose to not believe that. We have the freedom to say, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to believe that. I am my own authority. And you can choose to say that. But it doesn't change the fact. If the Bible is true, then God is real and his authority is absolute. Ladies and gentlemen, it is God's world. You and I are just living in it. And we'd be wise to remember that. If the Bible is true, then heaven and hell really do exist. There really are two eternal destinations that all of us will end up in, one or the other. Jesus said in Matthew 25 and verse 46, as he has talked about the judgment day, he says, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. If the Bible is true, then Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is the Son of God. And when Jesus says there are two places for you to go, he means that in reality. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Matthew 25 and verse 41, Jesus said, Then shall he say also unto them, On the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. For the devil and his angels. There is an everlasting fire that has been prepared. But who was it prepared for? It was prepared for the devil and for his angels. What does that mean? Well, let's think about what the scriptures teach us about Satan and about what Satan did. Satan lifted himself up in pride. Satan, as a wonderful and beautiful creation of God, used his free will that was given to him by God to choose to defy and rebel against God. He lifted himself up with pride, seeking to overthrow God or to be as as exalted as God. And so he rebelled against the Almighty, the supreme authority. And of course, he lost because God is real And his authority is absolute. And so when Satan lost, God punished him. God created a place that we call hell for Satan to dwell in forever because of the rebellion that he had committed against God. Does God have the right to do that? Absolutely. Is it fun for us to think about that hell is a reality? No. Would it be much more fun to just believe that no matter what, all of us are going to make it to heaven? Yes, that would be a much more fun thing to believe. But if God is real and the Bible is true, then hell is real. And it was put in place there for Satan and all of the angels that followed him. But what we'll find out is that same free will that led Satan to his demise is the free will choices that unfortunately we make that lead to the same demise. So that unfortunately those that follow in Satan's footsteps and rebel against God themselves also get sent to that place prepared for the devil. 
want you to know it's easier to believe that hell is not real. And I've visited with people that have talked about the fact that, you know, if they say that this stuff is real and this stuff is true, even if they believe it, but if they, if they acknowledge it and accept that this is real and this is true, then it might mean that a loved one or a friend or a family member who they knew didn't live right and didn't live for God might end up there. And that's a reality that, unfortunately, we do have to face. When you look at the Bible and you look at the teaching from God and from Jesus, it's not all butterflies and rainbows. There's reality. There's good and there's evil. There's reward and there's punishment. And though I am not the judge and you are not the judge and none of us can tell anyone else what's happening to their eternal soul that relies only with Christ and God. We do know what the Bible teaches. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that hell is real. So let me tell you this. What we choose to believe does not change the truth. You may not want to accept that reality because you're afraid for what that may mean for somebody else. But choosing to not accept the reality doesn't change the reality. The reality is still there. Hell is still real. And you still have a responsibility, no matter what anybody else chooses to do. You have a responsibility to accept what you know to be true. That God is real. His authority is absolute. And heaven and hell really do exist. And nobody should want to go there. Nobody should want to make it to hell. But on the flip side, we also need to recognize the immense blessing that there is in knowing that heaven exists and is real. John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. If the Bible is true, then this promise is true. There is a place called heaven that those who are faithful to God will be for eternity living life, living a better life than you and I could ever imagine here on this earth. And as real as hell may be, heaven is just as real. And those who choose to follow after Christ and God are promised that home. Revelation 21 and verse 4 puts it this way, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. What a place. What an amazing place that sounds like. That's the place that you and I want to be. If the Bible is true and heaven and hell really do exist, then you have a choice. You have the ability to direct your path into one of these two places. Not because of your own goodness or your own worth, but because of the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you'll accept Him and you'll live for Him, then you can bypass the fear of hell altogether and and experience the wonder that is heaven. For eternity. The former things are passed away at that point. When we all make it to heaven or hell, everything here that exists, everything physical, this life here, it'll be gone. There's going to come a day when all of this melts away. Everything that you know, everything about your normal standard life, it's going to be gone. All of this is going to be burned up in fire when eternity comes, when that judgment day comes. So don't live for this life. Don't live for this world. It's going to pass away. Another way that you could look at that 
is the things that you're dealing with in this life. They will pass away. You may be struggling with things today. You may have health issues. You may have job issues, financial issues, marriage issues, relationship issues. You may be struggling in some way. At some point, no matter what we go through in this life, as bad as it may get here, if we live for Christ, those things are going to pass away. And we're going to live in that place where there's no death and there's no sorrow and there's no crying and there's no pain. And what an amazing thought that is. If the Bible is true, heaven and hell really do exist. If the Bible is true, then Jesus is the only way to be saved. He is the only way to achieve heaven. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is another accepting statement that we've got to make to ourselves to acknowledge that we have sinned. Sin is simply the transgression of God's law. It is simply defying God, rebelling against God, going against what God has asked us to do. And all of us as people at some point in our life have committed sin against God. We have done wrong things. And I dare say most of you, if you look back at your life, you will acknowledge that at least one time somewhere in the history of your life, you probably did something you knew was wrong. When we do that, we've sinned against God. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You know what Isaiah is telling us about our righteousness, about our best? It's like a filthy rag before God. The very best that we can do in life is not going to be good enough. The reality is we have sinned, and that sin has caused a separation between us and God, just as it did with Adam and Eve in the beginning. And you and I, without Christ, are separated from Him. We are guilty before God. And there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Your perceived worth won't save you. Your goodness won't save you. Your family name won't save you. Your money won't save you. Your experiences won't save you. Your pile of good deeds that dwarfs the pile of bad deeds won't save you. There's nothing we can do. Our very best is as a filthy rag before God. If the Bible is true, then that's true. Then we cannot save ourselves and we need someone else to do the saving for us. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If the Bible is true, then Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is the only way to be saved. And just as we can't save ourselves, our own goodness, our own worth, and none of those things will save us, so faith placed anywhere else will not save us either. There are good people who belong to other religions. But if the Bible is true, then Hinduism will not save you. Buddhism will not save you. Islam will not save you. Judaism will not save you. No other religion will save you. Being an atheist certainly won't save you. Being an agnostic won't save you. Being unaffiliated with any religious uh, institution won't save you. The only thing that saves is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And if the Bible is true, we must accept this as truth. We can be great people. We can live great lives. If we don't believe in Jesus and accept Him, if we don't live for God then we've chosen to rebel against him. We've chosen to be on the side of Satan and his angels. And we've chosen to reap the same consequences that Satan and his angels will reap. When they are placed in that place we called hell, 
for eternity, for the rebellion against God that they committed. Peter said in Acts 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter had the faith to say there's no other way that it can be done. It has to go through Jesus. And if you want to be saved, if you want to be a part of God's family who reaps that eternal reward of heaven, then you too must accept that Jesus is the way. He is the only way. And that's not a very popular message to preach in today's time when everything's relative, when a lot of people believe that you can just choose to believe whatever you want. We're all okay as long as we're all good people. But if the Bible's true, then that's false. If the Bible's true, this is what's true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Will you accept it? If the Bible is true, then you need to make the choice to serve Him now, today. You need to make the choice. If you're riding the fence, that's not the place where you want to be. You need to decide who are you going to serve in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through 28 as Moses was relaying the law to the people of Israel, he said this to them, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. Moses said, God has spoken and delivered his law. Now you have a choice, O people of Israel. You have a choice. You can either be blessed or you can be cursed. Because the reality is there's only two paths. You can't walk the middle. You have to choose a blessing or a curse. How do you get blessing? You obey God. You accept that he is the authority in your life and you submit to him. How do you receive the curse? You rebel against him and say, I am the master of my own life. A blessing and a curse. Jonathan Not Jonathan, excuse me. Joshua put it this way in Joshua 24, verse 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua, this is years later after Moses made that blessing and curse proclamation. Joshua is standing at the end of his life before the children of Israel after they have conquered the land of Canaan. And he stands before them and he says, you need to decide. I'm about to be gone is essentially what he's saying. I'm about to go. And you have to decide who are you going to serve. The one true living God, the creator of the universe, or are you going to choose something else that does not bring salvation? And that same choice that Joshua gave to the people that day, the same choice that Moses delivered to the children of Israel that day, is the same choice that you have right now, this morning. It's the same choice that God desires for you to make. And it's time for you to choose. It's time for you to make a decision. Will you accept that the Bible is true? That God is real? That He has authority in your life? That heaven and hell exist? And that Jesus is the only way to make it to heaven? Will you accept that? You have a blessing and a curse before you. What will you choose? Jesus, this morning, he is waiting. He is knocking. He is asking for you to make the decision to serve him. In Revelation 3, as Jesus was speaking to the church at Laodicea, you remember the church at Laodicea was the one that was riding the fence. They were trying to walk in the middle. He said, I wish that you were either cold or hot, but instead you're lukewarm and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. 
Because God does not like people that try to ride the fence. God says, I either want you to serve me wholeheartedly 100% or make the decision to rebel against me, but make up your mind. And this morning, you need to make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? Jesus is at the door. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Jesus said, just as I overcame the grave, just as I am now exalted in heaven, sitting on my throne beside God the Father, he said, I will help you to overcome as well. I will give you a life that extends past the physical death here. I will give you the gift of heaven. I'm standing. I'm knocking. I'm waiting for you to answer. If you are here this morning and you have not answered the call of Jesus, if you had not answered his knock, if you've not opened the door of your heart to him, it is time to do that today. There is no reason to wait. If the Bible is true, then we also know that at some point... All of this burns up and it goes away and judgment day comes. Jesus comes back in the clouds to receive his own. And that could happen today. It could happen tomorrow or next week or a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now. We don't know. Do you know what the best play here is? Get your life right now. Open the door now. He's knocking. He's waiting. And the formula, brothers and sisters and ladies and gentlemen, is simple. What God is asking of you, what Jesus is asking of you in order to give you that gift of heaven is so simple. He wants you to believe in Him. He wants you to make that commitment and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that in your heart. Believe the Bible is true. Believe that Jesus is the one to save you. Daryl read John 3 verse 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Once you have chosen to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He's asking you to not hide that, but to live it out in your life. We call that confession. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Whosoever therefore will confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And I set before you a blessing and a curse. Do you believe him? Are you willing to live that out in your life? He's asking you once you've committed to believing in him and living that out in your life to also change your sinful ways. We talked about the fact that our best is as a filthy rag, that all of us are sinners before God. We cannot make it to heaven on our own. And if we are unwilling to change the sinful nature within, then we cannot be servants of God. And so he is asking us to repent. Jesus said in Luke 13 and verse 3, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance simply means a change. It means a change of heart, a change of direction that we no longer seek to satisfy self and live for self, but we want now to live for God and Christ to seek righteousness and holiness. It'll change you. And I want to warn you, if you make the decision to come to Christ, it'll change you. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change the places you go, the people you hang out with. It'll change your relationships. It'll mold and make you into something different. And I promise you, my experience tells me that it will make you into something better. It will change your life for good if you'll let it. Jesus is at the door. He's knocking. He's waiting for you to make that choice. 
If you've committed to believe Him and you're willing to to live that life of confession, you're willing to seek Him and not yourself, that repentance that we've talked about, then the only thing remaining is God asks you to submit yourself in baptism. Not because there's anything special about the waters of baptism, but because in that act of obedience and submission, you are showing that God, I have full faith in you to save me through Jesus Christ. And it is in that moment that the blood of Christ that Jesus shed on that cross for the sins of mankind will wash over you, will make you spotless, white, and pure as snow. It will regenerate you. And instead of being a dead soul destined for hell, instead we will be alive, we will be quickened by the Spirit of God, we will have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we will live for God from here on out, and we will have a guarantee and a confidence that if we live for Him then we'll be in heaven one day. Jesus is standing there. He's knocking. He's waiting. He's at the door of your heart this morning. Have you let him in? Have you opened the door? If the Bible is true, why not?